John 18, last week we uh, were, of course, in the garden, that heavy place where Jesus prayed. And uh, he asked his disciples to go with him. And he took, of course, the, just the three disciples, I believe his, his friends, Peter, James, and John. And, and he asked, and I believe the reason he asked them to come is, is several reasons. And I explained that a little bit last week. But uh, whatever the reason Jesus asked them to, whether it be to show them uh, how to pray, to uh, maybe he needed them for support, maybe he needed their friendship at that very heavy time. Whatever the case may be, they, they failed the Lord. They prayed or were supposed to pray and they fell asleep and they could not stay awake. By the way, it just wasn't one time. It was several times the disciples failed the Lord and Jesus, of course, was in that heavy time. Luke's gospel says that he, uh, he uh, bled great drops of blood. He sweat, uh, sweat uh, great drops of blood uh, literally uh, through his skin. The moisture and the sweat and the, and the burst capillaries mingled and it, it became a red blood that it was coming through his pores as the pressure of the sin of the world and the horrors of the cross and the betrayal of Judas and all the things that was going on in Christ's life, Jesus was experiencing the cup of, from the Father that he was going to drink from. And so Jesus was in, in this great place of pressure, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the olive press. And Jesus ends that, and we left in verse 11 last week about him drinking from the cup which his father had given him, uh, and he was going to drink it. By the way, uh, don't ever get in your mind that Jesus was trying to get out of the cross. Uh, he's not trying to get out of that. This was a great thing that Jesus was experiencing and going through, heaviness and sorrow and pain and travail. And Jesus uh, willingly took that upon him and would face Calvary all the way through the rest of John's gospel. I want us to pick up, though, in verse number 12. Before we read, I, I want to just give you the third part of our preaching in John 18 on the Lamb. We saw the Lamb was betrayed by Judas a few weeks ago. Then we seen the Lamb in the garden this past week. And now I want you to see the Lamb which is on trial the lamb which is on trial. This old world has seen some good men come across uh, the, the portals of time. We've seen men come and go. And we've seen men who have, we've been blessed by their presence. I'm thinking about great preachers of the past and great leaders of our country and great people, great even members of our church. I've thought about people that we've just been blessed to be around them. But there's been no man born unto woman like Jesus. Jesus was a man who was sinless. The, the Bible says multiple times in our text that we'll read that they found no fault in him. Now that could not be said of you and I. That could not be said of the greatest man that has ever lived outside of Jesus. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. I'm talking about John the Baptist. I'm talking about Daniel. I'm talking about Joseph. I'm talking about some great men of the Bible. Nobody, there'd be somebody, somebody that had been there, known them, or been around them that could say there is this one time because we're all sinners. But Jesus, nothing could be said. 
The Bible says there's not even a just man upon the earth. There's not even a just man that doeth good and sinneth not. And so there is some fault in every character, but no man has ever lived a perfect life other than Jesus Christ. May I remind you that Jesus was tempted at all points, yet without sin. Jesus faced temptation. He never gave in to temptation. And Jesus was the only man without fault. As we read our text, I want you to keep that in mind in verse number 12 of John 18. Notice what he says here. They, remember, they capture him in the garden, the, the, the Roman soldiers, 600 of them in that garrison. They take him. Judas has betrayed him. The army now is leading him to this place of the trial. In verse 12, the band and the captain of the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Notice that. And led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that this morning's message will, Lord, not, not my words, but the message itself, the Word of God, will penetrate that cold heart this morning or that heart that's maybe distant, that heart that maybe is even searching and lost. I pray that the Spirit of God will, uh, Lord, help and convict and encourage and maybe cause us to reflect a little bit this morning on this trial that Jesus faced. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was in charge of this whole situation. Jesus found himself in a garden. You say, Pastor, why do you believe Jesus went to a garden to pray? Well, I believe he goes to this garden. As I said last week, gardens were not owned by poor people. Gardens were owned by wealthy people. Gardens were not in Jerusalem. There was no room for a garden in Jerusalem. So gardens would be on the outside of the walls, and this one here would have been located in that Kidron Valley, right across that brook Kidron, as the blood of the lambs and the Passover would be slaughtered and run down the hill there from Jerusalem, that creek or that brook that would run through the Kidron Valley would turn red with the blood of lambs. Jesus would cross that brook. He would go inside that garden. He would pray in that garden, those olive trees with them witness trees as Jesus would take his disciples. His disciples would fall asleep and they would uh, fail the Lord there in the matter of prayer. Jesus would then be captured, led back across that brook where that blood was flowing through that brook still and Jesus would head up to the place called Caiaphas's house. Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the one uh, there that was overseeing the high priestly duties of the temple. He was the religious leader, if you will, of the uh, Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. And, and the former high priest is the one that Jesus actually visits first. His father-in-law by the name of Annas. Annas was the one that served about 20 years before Caiaphas. Annas was a, uh, they actually called the temple the Bazaar of Annas. Why did they call it the Bazaar of Annas? Well, because in order to go in and, uh, and, and sacrifice, in order to go in and to worship, they had to pay the priest a certain dollar that the priest would would uh, deem uh, worthy of them to enter the, the, the temple, and the priest would actually make money off of the people in the court. 
And so Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus goes in, and of course he gets word that they're fleecing the people and they're uh, making money on, on God, basically, and sacrifice. And Jesus, the Bible says, he overturns the money changers. He drives out those doves and those goats and all those things out of the temple, gets them all out of there. And of course, uh, Annas would hear about this. That hurt his pocketbook. Caiaphas heard about this. The priests were upset. The sons of Annas was upset. And they had to do something to get this Jesus that has hurt their pocketbook. I want you to notice what happens. Look with me in verse number 19. So this is Annas. He's the much older father-in-law of Caiaphas. So Annas is talking about the doctrine of Jesus. This is the treatment that Jesus was receiving. He first asked them about the disciples. Notice what he says in verse 19. Then the high priest that asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So there's two, two things that the high priest is concerned about. And we'll see why he's concerned about them. The first one he's concerned about, he's concerned about the disciples. Now there at this time is 11 disciples. Judas is the one that has betrayed Jesus. So Judas is now on the other side of this. He's working with the Sanhedrin and the, and the Herodians and all the others that captured Jesus. And so there's 11 disciples and Annas wants to know their names and where they're at. He then wants to know the doctrine of Jesus. Now, you think about this for a minute. Jesus, until the very end, he protected his disciples. If Jesus would have gave their whereabouts, if Jesus would even gave their names, then men, their lives would be in danger. No doubt they would be captured within a few minutes and put to death immediately, just like Jesus. But Jesus never answered. He only answered this in verse number 20. I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whether the Jews always resort. So where they, where they were, that's where I was. Notice this phrase, and in secret have I said nothing. Jesus said, my life, my ministry has always been an open book. Why have you not paid attention to what I've said? What have you not, why have you not paid attention to who my disciples were? They've been with me the whole time. They have followed me wherever I went. They have, they have been there. They have followed me. I have said what I have said. Now notice the response. Verse 21. Why ask thou me? Ask them which heard me, the witnesses, the people, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. Now, this is making Annas look really bad. This was not the reaction that Annas was hoping that Jesus would give. Verse 22, and when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? So, so you're actually going to talk to this man, Annas, the leader of Jerusalem, the Pope and the priest all rolled into one, the one that controls everything about Jerusalem. You're really going to speak to him that way, Jesus? Who do you think you are? And he smacks him. And they ask him about these two things, his disciples, and they ask him about his doctrine. Jesus said, hey, what I've said, I've said. If you've got any questions, won't you go around and ask the blind man? Won't you go ask the lame man? 
Hey, won't you go ask Lazarus who was dead? I went and raised him from the dead. Won't you go ask that woman who had been with men all over this region? Ask her about her life and how she'd been changed. Ask that woman who was possessed with devils. Ask her. Hey, you know what? They weren't interested in that. They had one thing in mind, and that was putting Jesus to death. Even Caiaphas, who you'll see next in this story, and by the way, this is such an unfair trial. They already had their mind made up what they were going to do with Jesus. They didn't care about his testimony. They didn't care about what he said. They, they, they didn't even care about the treatment. They mistreated, listen to me, they mistreated Jesus. But notice what Jesus said in John chapter 11. This is a lot of chapters, seven chapters before what I'm reading to you right now. John 11, listen to these words in verse 49. And one of them named Caiaphas. So Caiaphas is in John 11, being the high priest that same year. So remember uh, John 12, around John 12, all the way through John chapter 18 or so, is only 24 hours in the life of Christ. So this is not long. You say, seven chapters ago, that sounds like a long... No, that's not very long. The high priest that year said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Now listen to his words. Nor consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied, and listen to this, that Jesus should die for the nation, for that nation and not for the nation only, but that he also should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Notice what they say in verse number 53. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. So because of Jesus saying that he was going to die for the sins of the world, for the people who had chosen him, who had received him as Savior, who believed that he was a Messiah, he was going to die for the sins of the world. Not just one man, but for the, the nation. They said, from this point on, we will conspire to put him to death. Seven chapters before John chapter 18, they were already having in their mind, this is what we're going to do. This was a wicked bunch. This bunch did not care about breaking a law. They didn't care about breaking Jewish trial laws. They didn't care about convening uh, order in the middle of the night. They didn't care about anything that, that the, the old law said. All they cared about was putting this man named Jesus to death. Why? Because he would die for the sins of the world. Because he said he was the Son of God. Because he claimed to be God in the flesh. I read this week where Martin Luther, he was a young boy, and one night he went to sleep troubled over his sins. He wondered if he were saved. He was doubting his salvation, and he had a dream. He saw uh, that there was a recording angel standing at a blackboard, and Martin Luther's name was on the blackboard, and the angel was making a list of Luther's sins. And they were so many that there was not even room enough on the blackboard to write all of his sins down. Martin Luther said he felt like he would never be forgiven of his sins 
But while he stood in despair watching that blackboard and that angel write all the sins of Martin Luther, he said he saw a pierced hand come into view. And that hand wrote these words above Luther's sins. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses thee from all sins. He said he gazed in wonder. The blood trickled down that wounded hand and washed the record clean. And Luther said, I woke up rejoicing knowing that my sins had been forgiven. Hey, my friend, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter the sins that you say, well, pastor, you have no idea what I've done. Oh, I may not, but I know one who does, and he still died anyhow. And by the way, the blood of Jesus washes all those sins away. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. I'm thankful for the blood of Christ. I'm thankful for the doctrine of of the blood. And by the way, they had a they had a problem with the deity in which he said, I am. Hey, they had a problem with that uh, that he said I am in the garden. They didn't like that. By the way, when he said I am he, what did all them soldiers do? They fell back. And by the way, they didn't get up until he said it again. Why? Because he was in control. And here's what happened when he answered Annas. Look at this low-down scoundrel in verse 23. In verse 22, rather. And he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, hit him in the face, saying, Answerest thou the high priest for? It's not what we're looking for. How dare you talk to him like that? How dare you claim to be the Son of God. You're not answering these questions the way that you should. They mistreated him. Matter of fact, Luke, Luke said, and I think it's Luke chapter 22. Let me read to you what they said about the Lord. And they mocked and they, they, they smote him in the face. The Bible says in Luke 22 and verse 63, and the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they, had done, uh, when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously they spake against him. They would put a blindfold over his head and they had led him into this place and it was a mockery. And any opportunity that they could take to hit Jesus in the face I don't just believe it was one blow, though it's recorded in John. But according to Luke and, and several other Gospels, they buffeted him. They, they hit him in the face. They'd ball their fist up, and then they would spin him around. Who hit you, Jesus? They made fun of him and his disciples. They made fun of him and his doctrine. They mistreated our Lord. And it came time for a trial. This was some kind of trial, the Jewish trial. Annas tried him. And then notice what Annas said in verse 24, he said, And Annas had sent him bound, so Annas couldn't do nothing for him. This is embarrassing. Annas could not get Jesus to respond. Annas could not get him to respond in the way that he hoped Jesus would respond. So he sends him unto his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest. I've been to Caiaphas' house when I visited Israel. I've been to this place where Jesus was, literally the spot, Jesus is being taken to right now in our text is a spot that you can stand where Peter denied the Lord, where Jesus was bound, where Jesus was taken, this little dungeon, not big enough for ten people to be in. They held him down, lowered him down through a hole, 
in Caiaphas' house and held him there until he died, of course, the, the night before or the, the uh, time they would take him to crucify him. Jesus was mistreated. Jesus was held in trial, in this Jewish trial. And they, there was laws that Jesus, they should have uh, upheld and laws that they should have recognized, but they did not recognize, nor did they care about what the law said. They questioned Jesus and didn't get what they had hoped that Jesus would give them. I want you to look with me in verse 28. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. This was, the again, the Pharisees, Sadducees, that they might eat the Passover. Remember, this is Passover time. They, these religious Jews were very careful about the defilement, though they had already broken rules. They didn't care about that. But they said, we can't go into these certain places, especially this hall of judgment, and be clean for the Passover. And so we're going to lead you this way. And in verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, what accusation bring you this man? Why are you bringing him now to a Roman? This is your Jewish trial supposed to handle all of this. I'm a Roman. Why would you bring this to me? Now look at it in verse 30. And they answered and said unto him, this is a ball-faced lie. Here's what they said. If he were not a malefactor or a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Now that's, that's an accusation. Jesus was most certainly not a malefactor. But yet they're accusing him of wrongdoing. They're accusing him of, of things and blasphemous things. A, a, a malefactor was a very, it was not just someone who broke the law. It was a terrible law in which they had broke. And they said, hey, we're bringing him because his dealings is much higher than what we can handle. This is a high profile man. Look at what Pilate said unto them. Take ye him and judge him according to your law your Jewish law. Then the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That's the craziest thing I've ever read. They wanted to kill him from the They could not find a way to kill him. So Pilate, you handle it. You're the one that's going to look bad. We don't want to look bad. Well, we've got to perform these sacrifices. Here's why they said it. Verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake signifying what death he should die. They said in verse 30, uh, at the end of verse 30, that the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. We're, we're just wanting this man to have fulfilled. He's been saying he's going to die the whole time, so won't you just take care of it? Look at verse 33. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and he called Jesus and said unto him, now think about this, the third person who has seen him, the third government official. Annas, Caiaphas, and now Pilate. Art thou the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, saying thou this thing of thyself, sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Are you saying this? Or are others telling you that I'm the king of the Jews? Look at his response. Pilate said, I am a Jew, 
Thine own nation and chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? I can't figure out why you're standing in front of me. What sin, what crime have you committed? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. I would command my servants to go out here and start a war with you if my kingdom was here. I would done try to uh, ruin Rome's uh, upheaval. I would try to ruin their their overtaking of Jerusalem. I would, because they were under Roman law, I would actually try to destroy Romans if this fight was about an earthly kingdom, but it's not. This kingdom is about my kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. He said, Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. You know what he was saying? My hour has come. Y'all have had your hour and you're having your hour. But my hour has come. It's time for me to be delivered into the enemy's hands. It's time for me to face death. It's time for me to drink the cup of sorrow. It's time for me to be buffeted. It's time for me to be beaten with a whip. It's time for me to be crowned with a, with a, a crown of thorns. It's time for these things to take place. Pilate, therefore, in verse 37 said, Unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. He's given in the gospel the reason that he came. And for this cause came I into this world that I should be bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? What a great question. If Pilate's intentions were right, Pilate could have heard the truth speak and believed But Pilate said it in a way that was kind of scoffing. What's truth? Oh, you're just just talking out of your head. What is truth? If he had just listened to his wife the next chapter. By the way, men, that's a good advice. His wife was having dreams about this innocent man being crucified that kept her up all night and Pilate, of course, didn't listen. He didn't listen. What is truth? And when he said this in verse 28 or 38, he went out again to the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. He says that three times. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you at the Passover. Every Passover they release a prisoner. One. Show mercy to. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews, this man who's done nothing, this man who says he's your king, this man, the king of the Jews, who I can't find any fault? You want me to release him? And of course in verse 40 they cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. They wanted Jesus put to death. They wanted Jesus crucified. I thought about this trial as I studied some and all the laws that was breaking or broken. 
But in the midst of all of these scenes in which they met with religious leaders, intertwined in John 18 is the denying of Peter. Peter denies the Lord. And look, go, go back with me in verse 15. Verse 15 of John 18. The Bible says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus. And again, while he's being taken to these authorities. And so did another disciple, which is John. He refuses or, or does, just does not use his own name, but John is that other disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So they knew, knew somebody and they could go into Caiaphas's place or Annas. They had to know somebody. Verse 16 says, But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out the other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So John it was that knew somebody there, the writer of this. John knew somebody that was there, and he got him in, and Peter got in. And verse 17, Then saith the damsel that kept the door at, at, unto Peter, Art thou not also one man's disciple? He saith, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there who made the fire of coals, and there it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself by the fire. Look with me in verse number 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. And they said, therefore, unto him, Art not, art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being a kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? I bet you did. And Peter then denied again. Immediately the cock crew as Jesus had prophesied. Intertwined in all of this text, Peter is denying the Lord. Someone may ask, Pastor, why do you believe that they would, John, the writer of this gospel, would intertwine Peter's denying. It shows us several things about our text that I, I want us to, to kind of focus on and really just the remaining few minutes. It shows us the faithfulness and the mercifulness of our Savior. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, he is and high priest. He is an high priest, and according to, matter of fact, Hebrews, will you turn over with me to Hebrews? I want to read this to you. Hebrews chapter number 2, and Hebrews chapter number 2, and I want, you to, I want you to stay with me just for a few minutes. This is on the, I love the book of Hebrews, but this speaks a lot of the merciful high priest that we have. Bible says this, For as much then as the children are partakers, in verse 14, of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver them whom through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, 
He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Look, notice verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a, here it is, a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Why would John write about the trial of Jesus, but inside that put Peter's story? I believe it shows us several things about our text. The first thing it shows us is why Jesus came to this earth. Listen to me. Why Jesus came to this earth. Who did he die for? He died for sinners. You know what Peter was? Peter's you and me. Can I ask you this this morning? What would you and I have done if we were in Peter's shoes? What would we have done? Oh, preacher, I believe I would have stood for Jesus if I were following him, you know, and, and, and he was captured and being drugged around and mistreated and slapped and beaten and falsely accused. I would have stood with him, really. I'd be careful talking like that. You got to go to work tomorrow. Oh, I'm sure there's folks in here that stand for the Lord, and I'm not saying you never do, but in a time of pressure, listen, church, in a time when your neck is on the line, in a time in which you, the pressure is on and you're, your Savior is being mistreated and things are out of control. Hey, let me tell you something. It's not a popular time to stand. And guess what Peter did? And I'm not going to abuse Peter or, or misrepresent Peter, but can I say this? Listen. It is in times that we need to stand. Listen. In times that we need to stand, how many times have we faltered and failed and misrepresented the Savior. Can I say this? What's another thing that we find in, the, in our text is this. We find that how God can use such an utter failure in Peter for a good purpose later in that same disciple's life. Peter is the one that denied the Lord in John 18. There's no doubt. And usually when someone says, turn to John 18, we're going to preach a little bit. They're going to preach on Peter and his denying. But can I say, God had future plans for Peter. He had future plans for Peter. How could God use such a traitor? How could God use such a denier? How could God use someone that denied the Lord in, in his trial when Jesus needed him the most? Peter was not there. How could God use him the same way he uses me and you? The same way he uses you and I. These, these disciples, Jesus tried to tell them in Mark chapter 10, that he would be accused. Turn with me real quick and we'll be through John or Mark chapter 10. And look with me in verse number 32. I know it's raining outside, but y'all are... Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10, 
Look with me in verse number 32. Now this is way before Jesus being in trial. Jesus is just teaching his disciples. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed boy and he had just been transfigured. Mark chapter 10, he's with his disciples. By the way, Judas was present. Look in verse 32, and they were in the way. We're going up to Jerusalem and Jesus went before them and they were amazed as they followed. They were afraid and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Saying, here's what he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him unto the Gentiles and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. It's long before he was captured. It's long before Jesus was mistreated in the trial. Peter knew that, but he still denied him. You say, Pastor, what what do we get from this trial and from the denying of Peter? Leave with this. Although Christ was mistreated, abandoned, betrayed, and denied, Christ still forgave. He had you and me in mind. He had us in mind. He loved Peter. He loved Judas. He loved Pilate. He loved Annas. He loved Caiaphas. He loved all these that mistreated him and accused him. He loved that man who took his fist and hit him. Who did Jesus die for? He died for sinners. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus had the cross in mind as we sung about earlier? Jesus had all this in mind. Oh, it wasn't the only suffering that Jesus experienced was on the cross, though we can't imagine the suffering on the cross. But Jesus began to suffer in the garden, and when they mistreated him, he suffered Hey. Not, on the, not all the blood that was shed was on Calvary. He began to bleed in the garden. I'm sure when they balled their fist, he balled his fist up and hit Jesus. I'm sure blood trickled out of his mouth and his lips. I'm sure that Jesus, no doubt, he could have, as, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, as he was uh, led as a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Jesus never said a word back to the ones that hit him. He never responded in a hateful way. Why? Because Jesus knew this was what the Father had in mind, the cup of suffering. You and I have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for.